Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Greetings, Awaken. Whether Awaken has been your faith community for years or you are new, welcome to the gathering. For those of you who have found your your way to Awaken over the past few months, we'd like to be able to meet you, yet you're going to need to reach out to us and let us know that you're here. You can do that through the Connect card, which is on our website. I'm Kathy Solomon, the Director of Community Life, and we have a full November calendar. We have a f- things that we call upcoming events, which are one-time happenings or series, and we also have regular rhythms, things that happen on a weekly and a monthly basis. This morning, I'd like to highlight a few of these opportunities that we have to connect. The first is the Monday evening prayer gathering. This is a time for you to show up and connect with God while being led in a prayer practice. It happens every Monday night at 8.30 p.m. and lasts for 15 to 20 minutes. It's a great way to start off your week. We also have a few upcoming events this month. The first is the Pen a Lament Workshop. It's going to be held Tuesday, November 10th and 17th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. In this workshop, you're going to learn about the ancient practice of lament, look at laments that are found in scripture, and craft your own lament. Whether you are a rookie or a seasoned veteran with the practice of lament, this is a great opportunity that we'd like to invite you to engage in. It will not only be an individual, but a communal experience. We also are going to be packing meals for the Sheridan story. And this is gonna happen on Thursday, November 12th from 5 to 7 p.m. Sheridan story is one of our ministry partners and they provide meals for students who are experiencing food insecurity. The meals that we pack will be provided for them to bridge the gap over the weekend from the meals that they get at school during the week. And if you don't know, Sheridan Story is going through a rebrand right now. They are changing their name to Every Meal. So we are going to be meeting at Every Meal's warehouse in Roseville to pack these meals. All of these happenings you can register through on the Awaken Weekly or go to our website calendar and sign up for things on the website as well. So that wraps it up for announcements for this week. Now, Mandy, would you come and share the kids' message? Hello, everyone. I'm Mandy. I'm the Kids Community Director. I am so excited to show you this next month's box. We had 46 families come and pick up boxes. So exciting. I want to show a few things in there in case those of you who got the box haven't opened it. I want to encourage you to open it and get started. So we have this month is Jesus Heals the Blind Man. Our theme is to see. Um, So that can look a lot of different ways throughout the month for you. We have an activity sheet full of activities that are going to guide you and your family and your kids um, through different ways of what it means to see. 
And I just have a few little things I wanna share. In every box, a handmade blindfold by Claudette Witham. We are so grateful. She made 50 blindfolds, you guys. It's awesome. So I hope that you can play lots of fun games with this, experience being blind. Um, and then my other, I have a couple favorites. There are so many activities this month. A couple favorites. A family gratitude journal. So something to use each day, spend a minute. There's prompts on the back. Everyone write, draw a picture, whatever you wanna do um, to show what you're grateful for. There's even a Visio Divina as our prayer this month, memory verse, service card. I mean, you guys, I packed 50 bags of cream of tartar so that you can make mud Play-Doh. <laughs> so please use it. And lots of googly eyes as well, because that's important when your theme is to see. That is that. All right, today Micah is talking about the prophet Amos. And if you've been listening the past few weeks, you've heard us talk about Jeremiah, See if I can remember them all. Jonah, Isaiah, Amos, like these others, is off to tell the people that they aren't living the way God wants them to live. It's like a broken record. We say this every week, right? That's, that's how it is. Um, I have a few scenarios that I'm going to tell you. I want you to listen closely. And when I'm done, I want you to try to guess what I'm describing. So my scenarios are, Eating an ice cream sundae, floating down the river, um, let's see, a baby being born, playing at the beach, playing in the snow, mm, ooh, giving someone a surprise, an unexpected surprise, or getting an unexpected surprise, uh, maybe time with your best friend. God's creation. What else? Being at church with all your friends? What do all those scenarios have in common? Maybe what word describes? See if you can think of it. Did anyone say the word good? Today we are going to talk about the word good, but maybe in a new way that you haven't heard before. The prophet Amos, like many prophets, is trying to make the point that when we are honoring God and listening to his plan for our life, we are doing good. God equals good. Now, what is good? Take some time at home and talk to your family about what is good. What are some things that are good? When you think of good, what do you think of? What does it mean? I can remember when our family was in Florida and we saw a whole bunch of dolphins out in the ocean in front of us. And I remember thinking, that is so beautiful. And it just feels like they are living life to the fullest and they're living exactly how God intended them to live. There's a Hebrew word that is used hundreds of times in the Old Testament and numerous times in the New Testament in Greek form. In the Bible that you read, this Hebrew word has been translated to our English word good. But it's a word that means so much more than how we use the word good. Shout it out if you know it. And if you know it, your parents need to give me a phone call because I will be quite impressed. But this word is tov. T-O-V. Tov. Tov is one of the first words that is in the Bible starting in Genesis. God uses the word tov to describe each of the six things he created. At the end of each day, he looked at what he had created and said, it is tov. What we've heard is, it is good. But the 
first writing of it is, it is tov. It is good. It is beautiful. It is working the way that God intended it to work. It's working the way that it was created, similar to the dolphins that I told you about. Then, after he created humanity, us, he looked over all his creation again and said, it is very good. He says that about us. He created us tov. He created us good, beautiful, exactly how he intended. So what is tov? I actually like explaining it like a fruit tree. So I have this apple here. How is this apple created? It grows on a tree, right? Yes. How is the tree grown? From a seed. Where does the seed come from? From the apple. Where does the apple come from? From the tree. Where does the tree come from? From the seed. Where does the seed come from? From the apple. Do you see what's happening? Over and over. On and on it goes. That is life. We call this tree life. We call this tree good. God created this apple tree to be tov, to give life over and over again. Tov is when God's creation is living and bearing fruit that continues to bring more life. What are some more examples of tov that you can think of? Talk about that with your family. Where do you see tov around you? I would love to hear what you're coming up with. You may be thought of more flowers or trees that you see tov, life, creating more life, creating more life, or maybe people. Some of you even maybe brought up the ripple effect that we talked, to a few, talked about a few weeks ago. Tov is a bit like the ripple effect, goodness that brings more goodness, kindness and love that brings more kindness and love. Two weeks ago, some of you wrote the letters J-E-S-U-S. We can always come back to Jesus as our ultimate example of Tov. Through Jesus and the good news of him being our savior and rescuing us from the untov, I made that word up, the not good, the sin brought into the world, we are seen as good and beautiful in God's sight. God delights in what is Tov. Because of Jesus' perfect sinless life, death and resurrection, we are seen as good. We are seen as Tov. Going back to our theme to see this month, when we bring our eyes to Jesus, we will see Tov, and because of that, we will live Tov. After learning what Tov is, isn't it exciting to think that we can live that way? We can bring life and joy and love to others as we continue to look to Jesus and follow his example. We each have a part to play in bringing Tov to this world as God created us to do. God's ultimate plan is to bring complete Tov back to our world. Where we see injustice, he will bring justice. Where we see famine, he will bring plenty. He will bring Tov to the world again. I want you to remember this. Even when we see untov, we can be tov and we can bring tov. In other words, when we see things not working as God intended, he still sees us as good, as tov. Even when things aren't good around us, we can bring good, we can bring tov, we can bring new life, new ideas, love, kindness, justice, 
and most importantly, the reminder that God is always full of tov. God is always good. God sees us. And the question is whether we will choose to see God and follow God and live in his tov. Take some time with your family to talk more about the word tov. This is a a big word and a lot of meaning. I hope that you can take some time to talk more about it. If we were in class together, we would even talk about how God sees tov and his meaning of good in the word tov and our word good and how that's maybe different. Sometimes it might be the same, but sometimes it might be different. You can talk more about that. And then I want you to really talk about how this goodness in Tov is showing up in the life around you. How are you living Tov? How are you bringing Tov to your community, to your family? And how are you bringing Tov to our world? Thank you, Mandy. So good. Let's sing the song of blessing over our kids. May God give you eyes to see together here in a little bit. Before we do, yes, I have a couple more (laughs) announcements um, to give you. There's just so much going on uh, here right now. Um, As many of you know, my name is Melody. I'm the music and arts director here at Awaken. And I have the absolute joy and privilege of um, getting to create community for our artists that attend Awaken, which is just such a rich um, crew of people that I really love spending time with. And uh, we do a gathering Uh, monthly on the first Thursday night of every month. That is coming up next week. So um, if you want to be a part of that, email me at melody at awakenwest7th.com. It will be a virtual gathering on Zoom and any creative soul is welcome to join in. If you just want to connect to the artist community here, um, please join us. It's at seven o'clock first Thursday of the month. And this is the big announcement. Uh, We are uh, organizing this year an Advent winter market. If you came to Awaken last year around Advent, yes, Advent is coming. I know we're all kind of starting to get away with that, aware of that with all the snow on the ground. Um, But uh, if you were here last year, you saw us transform uh, the front area of the church one Sunday morning into a market. And a lot of artists and crafters um, brought their goods uh, to sell to the community so that they could stock up on Christmas presents for their families. We are going to do that virtually this year. So if you are sad about the winter market not happening, don't be sad. 
we're going to do it. It's just going to be online. Um, so if you are interested as a crafter, we've had everything from chocolate to cards to craft beer to mugs to just whatever you want to make. Um, uh, you can participate in that. And we will put a page on our website from December 6th to December 13th um, where we will list everyone that's involved in links to your online stores. Um, so if that's something you have the capacity to be a part of and want to be a part of, uh, registration for that uh, will end on November 15th. So you have a few weeks to sign up for that. Uh, if you just go to the website, um, you will find the registration is open right now uh, for you to sign up and be a crafter, be an artist that sells good at the winter market of 2020. Okay, um, we are going to transition ever so smoothly into singing together. Um, Micah is going to be talking from the book of Amos uh, today, uh, uh, speaking to a pretty well-known passage where the prophet really um, speaks to kind of the ceremonial nature of uh, the people of God and how that kind of had gotten into the way of paying attention to the things that really mattered, like uh, justice and taking care of the poor. So I thought it would be appropriate before we got into that passage for us to just spend a little time, especially as a worship leader, for me to spend a little time uh, just recognizing that we may not have done that well, uh, that our experience, even here at Awaken, sometimes we just forget. We get so into the routine of doing church that we forget about uh, what the things that really matter um, and that are dear to the heart of God. So we're gonna begin by um, having a little time of repentance and lament, um, asking God to have grace and to help us be made new in that way. Uh, so let's do that and engage our hearts and uh, let's sing this together. Yeah. 
So this morning, we're going to dive back into the prophets. Last week, we looked at the giant Isaiah, one of the most prolific prophets in the Bible. And this week, we turn our attention to maybe one of the lesser known prophets, a guy named Amos. Uh, Remember, when we started this series, I offered a a definition from Walter Brueggemann. He says this about the task of prophetic ministry, that it is to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness that is uh, a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. So pray with me as we begin this morning. God of creation and giver of life, I pray that you would nurture nourish and evoke in us, your church, a consciousness and a perception that is consistent with the life of Jesus, even when it is opposed by the dominant consciousness and perception of the world around us. Open our eyes, God, open our ears to the melody, the song, the, uh, and the song of love and mercy and justice that is playing all around us if we have eyes and ears to hear and see, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and God's people said together, amen. Uh, In our 20 years of marriage with my wife, Laura, there are some predictable patterns, I must admit. If, for example, I randomly start cleaning, gathering, going above and beyond the sort of normal and natural um, agreed upon duties in our relationship and in our house, you can most assuredly bet that this activity will be followed (laughs) or, or this activity always leads to that moment when I ask for permission for the morning off or the evening off to go fishing or golfing or whatever it is that I uh, have in my mind. Um, This almost always leads to that. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, Now, I could go on and on about Laura's this that leads to that, but that would be unkind and stupid to throw my partner under the bus. So for the sake of this morning, I will gladly fall on the sword for you. (laughs) But the idea that I want to draw your attention to is that this always leads to that. Because this simple message is actually, um, it, is, it, is, it is the message of Amos in some ways. This profound book could be boiled down to this, always leads to that. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to give you a little bit of background in history uh, so that you can understand a little bit about Amos and what he's talking about and what he's speaking into. Uh, and then I want to explore a little bit more about this always leads to that um, by looking at a few, chap- a few verses in chapter 5, which not only serve as the middle of the book, but also the sort of epicenter of Amos's message to the people that he spoke to. So first, a little bit of background. Um, Amos spoke in the, in the time of a king named Jeroboam II in the northern kingdom, also called Israel. So is, uh, what was 12 united tribes broke up in two tribes, one, uh, I think it's 10 in the north and two in the south. So Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And so uh, Amos is speaking to the northern tribe, also known as Israel, in the time when it reached its sort of zenith of power and wealth. So when Amos appeared in the north, there was land, there were elegant cities, there were palaces, there was ivory adorning these palaces, there were lounging couches with damask pillows, according to chapter 3. Uh, these people enjoyed sumptuous feasts. They, uh, their women were compared to the fat cows of Bashan. 
and addicted to wine, according to chapter four. Evidently, that's a compliment. Um, All the while, the poor are afflicted and even sold into slavery. The judges charged with justice were corrupt, according to chapter five. It was a mess in so many different ways. While on the surface, there was opulence everywhere, just below the surface, or maybe just outside of the temple or the places where the rich and the powerful were, there was all kinds of injustice and all kinds of oppression. Amos was from a small town called Tekoa, uh, a, a village close to Bethlehem in the southern kingdom of Judah, and he prophesied judgment. Um, first to all of the nations around Israel and then specifically um, to Israel and in general to all of them because of their terrible treatment of the poor. He sort of, uh, in the beginning of the chapter, uh, beginning of the book, he's speaking to the nations around Israel, but then he turns his anger and the Lord's anger to Israel itself and specifically the northern kingdom and Jeroboam II, who arguably was one of the worst kings of Israel. Um, On your screen, you'll see uh, this timeline, which you've seen before, and you'll note that uh, Amos was a contemporary of Jonah. Uh, If you remember, Jonah actually prophesied favorably to Jeroboam II that he would gain all this land and win all these these battles. But um, rest assured, Amos' message is not favorable to the king nor to the people. So here's how the book is laid out. It's kind of three main sections, chapters 1 and 2, chapters 3 through 6, and then chapters 7 through 9. So chapters 1 and 2 are mostly Amos's message to the nations around Israel. So to the north, to the east, to the south. Remember, to the west is the Mediterranean Sea. And so um, he's speaking to all these people around Israel, but then it ends with his remarks basically uh, to Israel. Uh, Listen to Amos chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. He says, you, Israel, you sell the righteous for silver, the needy for a pair of shoes. They that trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth turn aside the way of the afflicted. Chapters 1 and 2 kind of function like a bullseye. So he's talking to the people around Israel. And then as chapter 2 sort of ends, the crosshairs of his message lands directly on the people of Israel, specifically the northern kingdom and Jeroboam the king. And his critique is specifically that the rich have ignored the poor uh, by allowing them to go into debt slavery. So there was predatory lending happening. And then not only that, but uh, they were then denying those people justice and uh, the representation that they deserved. It's like Amos is asking this rhetorical question. Is this the people? Is this the same family who was once denied justice and oppressed in Egypt, enslaved in Egypt? Is this the same family that God rescued from that oppression? And he's essentially saying the whole thing's a sham and it's about to get blown up, chapters 1 and 2. Chapters 3 to 6, really, he leans into this message of critique to Israel and its leaders. Um, Israel had a great calling from God, all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, that they would be a blessing to the world, that God would bless them, but then that they would be a blessing to the world. So there's this great calling that they've been given, and with that comes great responsibility. And so Amos is essentially saying, There is great concern and great offense to God who has given this calling and invited Israel to be and do this certain thing in the world, and they are failing to do that. So chapters 3 to 6 are really all about that. And then chapters 7 to 9 basically are Amos' vision of God's coming justice, which come in the form of locusts at first, and then uh, a scorching fire, and then fruit that gets over-ripened, and it, it ends with... Essentially, God tumbling the temple in Bethel, which is uh, set up by the northern king, Jeroboam, 
And what's wild and fascinating about Amos is that it ends with this glimmer of hope. The whole book is, is it's kind of doomsday, truth be told, but it ends with this glimmer of hope at the end of chapter 9. The final verses out of this pile of rubble, which is the temple at Bethel, God will one day restore the house of David, which of course is a reference to the Messiah King Jesus, who is from the line of David. And what's fascinating is that God's restoration is not just for the nation of Israel, but for all of the nations. All of the nations who say yes, who follow, who participate in this invitation that God offers. Listen to chapter 9 at the end. He says, in that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls, restore its ruins, and I will rebuild it as it used to be. All the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. So that's kind of Amos in a nutshell. I want to focus on chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, open them to chapter 5. And I'm going to read uh, a few selections from chapter 5 to get a sense of what Amos is really, uh, what he's so fired up about. So starting in chapter 5, verse 4, he says this. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile. Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. Skip to verse 10. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in the court and detest the one who tells the truth. You, Israel, you levy a straw tax on the poor, you impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great are your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes to deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps... The Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. And lastly, skip down to verse 21. I hate, no, I despise your festivals, your religious assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. <laughs> it's getting hot in here. I can't read that last line without recognizing and noting that there is a one Mike Donnelly in our presence this morning. If I remember correctly, way back in the day for a little thing called Chick, Covenant Hires in Christ, he and a couple of his pals wrote a song that became a real hit among covenant youth about letting justice roll and flow and like a mountain and down a river and all these other kinds of things. So if you want Mike to sing that song, you'll have to request it. Maybe he'll play it. Maybe he'll post a little Instagram for us. Either way, friends, here's the question I want to ask you. How on earth do you get to the place where God says, I hate, no, I despise your gatherings? <laughs> Even though you bring me offerings, I will not accept them. This is God speaking to the people of God. Though you bring choice offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen. How does this happen? Like, 
These are all the things that Israel was told to do in worship through the book of Leviticus, which is in painstaking detail, right? It's, it's sacrifice, it's incense, it's religious festivals and holidays, it's singing, it's dancing. And God says to the prophet, I hate it all. In fact, I would rather you stop. Now, friends, as a worshiping community, like as a church, this should concern us. We should, if we hear God saying, I pretty much hate what you're doing, you should stop. We should ask ourselves, um, how, how, do, how does that happen? How do you get to that place where the divine who enjoys our presence and, and, and seems to um, take joy in our singing and worship and baptism and communion and all the things that we do, how is it possible? And the key, I think, lies in the verses that we read. Like many of the prophets, justice and righteousness are often the answer to the question and the way forward. So, notice at the beginning, in verses 4 to 6, God says through the prophet, Seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live. It's like the prophet is holding up the worship of Yahweh as the way forward. He even says, don't go to Gilgal, don't go to Beersheba, don't go to Bethel, don't worship other things, don't chase after things that won't satisfy. Don't pledge your allegiance to anything but Yahweh, don't bow a, a head or, or bow a knee, don't let your hearts be divided. Worship Yahweh and Yahweh alone and you will live. Why? Because this is the path to life. And then later in verse 14, in the same chapter, he says, Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice so that you will live. It's almost the same formula. And actually, if you do a little digging in the Hebrew, it's identical. Seek God that you may live, and then in verse 14, it gets replaced. Seek good, seek justice that you may live. It's almost as if the prophet is saying, this, your worship of Yahweh, is synonymous with or will always lead to that, justice. And then later in verse 24, he says, let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. This, the worship of God, always leads to that. Tov, mishpat, sedekah, good, justice, and righteousness. So how do the people of God get to the place where God says, I pretty much hate what you're doing? It's pretty simple, according to the prophet. When their worship of God, this, does not lead to justice and righteousness, that. God says, I pretty much hate what you're doing. Stop. I'm going to tell you a story about my grandpa. And I'm going to use a swear word. Because I think that the swear word communicates the message or makes the point of the illustration. Now, when Laura and I were parenting our children, we still are, but when we were a bit more active in our parenting, now we're just kind of guiding, right? They say that after 13, your job's pretty much done. Like, you're not going to change them. I don't know if I believe that, but either way, when we were actively parenting our children, I would have this conversation with them and I'd say, listen, kids, Saying a swear word isn't inherently wrong. Like that word isn't inherently evil or wrong. But it can be offensive and inappropriate in a particular context. So your job as a young maturing adult is to discern whether or not saying the F-bomb is appropriate and the right word for the context. Because in one context, maybe it is. But then in another, it is definitely not. Like when you're with your grandma, please don't say that word. That's not appropriate or helpful is very offensive, but it might be in another. 
So I always told them, listen, saying a swear word, it's not inherently wrong. You have to discern the right context. And in one case, it might be the right word. In another case, it might be inappropriate. I'm hoping that this is the case where it actually works, okay? But be forewarned, I'm going to swear. My grandpa, his name was Charlie, and he played a lot of cribbage. He loved cribbage. Uh, my brothers and I would go over there early uh, on Friday afternoons before the rest of my cousins and my, my, my grand uncles, aunts and uncles would come and we would play cards and eat and hang out at my grandpa's house. This is what I did on Friday nights in high school, by the way. I once got made fun of in the, in the locker room. People were like, hey, Micah, where are you going on Friday night? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to my grandpa's house. And they're like, Aah! what? You're going to your grandpa's house? I'm like, yeah, that's what we do. We go to grandpa's house. We play cards, we eat. Totally foreign, but that's what we did. So we'd go over there on Friday afternoons, we'd play cribbage, and he would just mop the floor with us. He was so good. And Grandpa would always say, if you want to learn, if you want to win at cribbage, you got to learn how to peg. And you peg, and then you count in cribbage. And so we were there one afternoon, my brother Jake and I, and his friend Art was there, another old codger. Imagine like a just stereotypical old, you know, balding strips of hair with the wings that come up and the big glasses. This was Art. So Art was there, and he was a terrible cribbage player. My grandpa would just kill him every time. So here's what happens. We're there. They're getting to the end. It's a close game, and Grandpa Chaz, is, he, he gets to peg first. And so he lays the two down. He pegs. He wins. And Art says, son of a bitch, Charlie. I knew you had the deuce. And then stands up and says, well, I got to go to choir practice. <laughs> to which my brothers and I were just kind of like, totally bamboozled. We grew up in evangelical Christianity where like you don't say that word and then go to choir practice, right? Like this does not lead to that. You know what I mean? So we were just totally, completely confused about the whole thing. We still laugh about that moment to this day. Why is the prophet so mad? Why is God so mad through the prophet? Because the temple and all of, act, all of its activities, Shabbat and religious festivals and choir practice, it was humming along, it was happening, all the while, just outside the doors, on, on Monday after Shabbat, or Saturday, Sunday after Saturday, depending on how you count the calendar in Jewish culture, the poor were being oppressed, they were being taken advantage of, they were being marginalized, and it was like this not only wasn't leading to justice and oppression but it, or, or justice and righteousness, but it was actually leading to the opposite of that. Where the poor, the vulnerable, those among the, Israel, the Israelite community and, and around in the nations, the court of the Gentiles, these people were not only being oppressed but taken advantage of by the people who were supposed to protect them. This was not leading to that. This is when God says, I hate your gatherings. What you're doing actually disgusts me. And if you could please stop. So the million dollar question is, what is justice and what is righteousness? Two words that come up over and over in the prophets. And we'll end here. Sedekah and Mishpat. Sedekah means righteousness. It's translated righteousness. But I think sometimes righteousness gets lost in like the cacophony of religious ideas and words where we're like, oh yeah, righteousness, duh. But I don't know that we really grasp the vision of this word. And I would argue, and I think I'm in good company here, that in Hebrew, righteousness is more, it's a vision of right and equitable relationships with all people regardless of social, economic, gender, race, uh, uh, 
barriers or differences. At its most basic level, tzedakah is about relationships and equity. That our relationships with each other, even with God, yes, but with each other and the world that we live in would be rightly ordered. That there wouldn't be anything out of place or out of order or misaligned or, uh, right? Especially that there would be no imbalance or difference between you and another human being based on social, political, economic, or gender or any other differences that we might cook up. Rather, that there would be rightly ordered and equitable relationships on all levels. This is the heart of righteousness. So when the prophet says, let righteousness flow like a mighty flowing stream, that's what he's talking about. It's not some you know, two-bit religious word that nobody cares about. It, it, it is a deeply, um, uh, it's a deep word connected to the heart of God. Justice is the word mishpat. And arguably, justice is a reference to the concrete actions you might take to correct injustice and bring about righteousness. So when we find people or places or things that are out of order or misaligned or inequitable or unjust, justice is the concrete action that one takes to bring about righteousness. Where those relationships are equitable, where those systems don't preference one over the other. So let me say this as simply as I possibly can this morning. This, the worship of Yahweh, your allegiance to Jesus and the way of Jesus, should always lead to that. Sedekah and Mishpat, justice and righteousness. And when it doesn't, when what we're doing here doesn't lead to that, or even worse, when it leads to something that undermines that, this is when the prophet says on behalf of God, stop what you are doing. Stop speaking in my name. Stop singing with my name in your songs. Stop doing these things that you're doing, whether it be communion or baptism or dancing or the studying the Bible or Advent or Lent or Easter or any other thing. Stop. If this doesn't lead to that. This is what the prophet Amos is saying. This is why he's so upset. So my friends, a few moments of critical thinking and self-reflection as we close. What does your worship of God produce? What does your allegiance to Jesus and the way of Jesus produce in your life? Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. This is essentially a different way of having the same conversation. And Amos essentially is saying that if this, your allegiance to Jesus and your yes to salvation doesn't lead to justice and righteousness, but if it is something other than that, an insurance about some future life or that you might not be looked down upon or you may have some kind of existential like breather because you know where, if this doesn't lead to that, the prophet says stop. Stop what you're doing. On the, in the name of God. Because any worship of Yahweh 
always brings about tov. It always brings about life. It always leads to justice and righteousness. So, what is the fruit of your allegiance? When you think about the life that you live and and the way in which it gets played out day to day, what does it look like for you to be on the lookout for injustice? And when I say that, I'm not talking about some grand like Supreme Court case moment. I'm talking about just day to day when somebody gets slighted in the line at the grocery store. What do you do? Do you just watch and stand by and let that happen? Or do you say, oh, I'm sorry, I think that person was in line. Or when you're at school, what does it look like for you to be on the lookout for places or people or things that are out of order and misaligned where there is inequity privileging one particular group of people over another based on any number of differences? It seems, if you read the Bible carefully, and I suggest that you do, if you are serious about the prophets, you can't miss this. This is, this is the like banging drum they keep coming back to. You cannot worship Yahweh and oppress the poor and take advantage of the vulnerable. You just can't. So what does it mean to, for you to be at work for justice? the rightly ordering of people, places, and things that is consistent with God's vision of righteousness. This is the question of Amos, and this is the question of your pastor, me, for you this morning. Pray with me. God, as we take a few moments to pause and consider the word of the prophet Micah, the pastor this morning, I, I hope and I pray, God, that if there's anything that I've said that is not consistent with who you are or what you've revealed to us in scripture, that it would be forgotten and that only what is true would remain. So Holy Spirit, in the next few moments of silence, would you find us where we are, turn on the lights, expose the places or in us or the ways in which our actions and lived life are inconsistent or falling short of your vision of justice and righteousness. And I pray, God, that through and out of the lives uh, of the people that make up this community and this church and those around the world who represent you, God, that justice and righteousness would flow like a never-ending stream.
As we prepare our hearts and make our way to the table, which is this religious thing that Christians have been doing for thousands of years, I can't help but think if this, if this was in the crosshairs of what Amos had to say to the, the people of Israel, if Amos were speaking now, would things like this be what God says? And I think it might be, honestly. But the flip side of that is, I think when our worship of God and our allegiance to the way of Jesus leads us to lives that are seeking after and working for justice and righteousness, I think God takes great delight in our worship. I think God, if God could smile, like take such great joy in hearing his God's people like sing and come to the table and do the things that we do together. So I, I, I want to make sure that we don't forget that, that when our worship and our participation in these things lead us out of this place or wherever you are into the world for justice and righteousness, God is saying, yes, yes, yes. So with that in mind, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So whenever you eat of it, remember me. Remember what I was about. The way in which I worked for justice and righteousness among the most vulnerable for those who had been counted out and left out and not invited don't forget. And in the same way, he took a cup and he blessed it and he said, this is my blood shed for you. A new covenant. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. Don't forget the things that I've taught you and the way that I've lived my life. Go and do the same. As you pour yourself out for the healing of the world, for justice and righteousness, come back to this table and I will fill you again. So this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come you who have much faith, you who have a little bit of faith, you who have been here often or haven't been here for a long time or never before. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come not because I invite you or the church invites you, but because the resurrected Christ who was about justice and righteousness when he walked this earth, says, come and be fed here at the table. So as you take the bread, I'd invite you to hear these words, the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same way as you take the cup, I'd invite you to hear these words the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink, my friends. The prophets are sharp. They don't mince words. But they're important messages for us to hear, to keep near, to not push away because they're uncomfortable, but to allow them to sink in. So my hope and prayer for us, for you, for me, for those that follow this Jesus, 
is that our worship of God, our activity, our participation in the community of, of church, that that would always lead to justice and righteousness in the world. More of it in our lives and in the lives of those that we come in contact with. So leave today knowing that the Lord blesses you and keeps you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the church gathered together said, amen. Grace and peace, my friends. See you next week. www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter by Awaken Community. See you next time.